faith, hope, and love. And as I've been leading us through our time together in 1 Thessalonians over the last few months, I've been praying those things for myself. Lord, help me to grow in faith. Help me to grow in hope rooted in Christ. Help me to grow in love. And that's what Paul is wanting us to do, is to ask God to see these characteristics to grow in our life. And in this last section that we're looking at, it's important to keep that in mind. Because otherwise it can seem like this is a bunch of disconnected commands that Paul gives at the end of his letter. But what Paul is doing here is giving us a glimpse of what a community looks like that embodies faith, hope, and love. Recently, I was doing a puzzle with a family, and one of the challenges of the the puzzle was we kept fighting over who could hold the box top because we wanted to make sure that we knew where that piece goes or to figure out what kind of piece we would need to look for in order to complete the puzzle. As we come to this passage, it's important to keep that box top view in mind. That what Paul is doing here in this passage is giving us a glimpse of Christian maturity lived out. So that we understand what a life lived looks like when it's lived in light of the Lord Jesus. Today, as we reflect on this passage, that's our theme, a life lived in light of the Lord. But now let's turn our attention to God's word as I read for us from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 12 and going to the end. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, But test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let us pause and ask his help in understanding it. Father, we thank you that you are with us now and that as you are with us, you come to show us your glory, to show us your holiness to show us your love, that we might respond in grateful obedience. May we see you clearly and live boldly in light of your truth. We pray this for Jesus' sake. 
Amen. I don't know if you are like this, but a lot of times when we are traveling as a family to visit a, a relative or we're on our way to go have dinner at somebody's house, right as we're kind of turning into the neighborhood, we begin to go over certain things that our kids are supposed to do. Whatever they put before you, at least take a bite and be sure to say thank you afterwards. Don't talk too loud. Don't avoid talking. Engage in conversation. Be sure to use your manners. Say please, say thank you. We go over these things as we're getting close to the house because we want them to remember our family values. And as we are there visiting someone else, we want them in a sense to embody what our family is supposed to be like. Now in this passage, Paul kind of like that gives just a bunch of different exhortations to the Thessalonians. And in this main section, there's these 18 exhortations that he gives to them. But again, these are not disconnected thoughts that Paul is just having come into his head. Like, sure, it'd be great for y'all to pray more. Why don't you do that? But all of these come together by Paul saying that I want you to embody the family image. And he does this in a way by starting this section by talking about peace. If you look down at verse 13, he says, be at peace among yourself. There Paul is calling the Thessalonians to have this sense about their community that is marked by peace. But why peace? Well, look towards the end of the passage in verse 23. And what does he say there? Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. There Paul is saying that what he is praying for the Thessalonians is that they're sanctified completely, that they are transformed to look like something. And what does he want them to look like? The God of peace. Paul is saying to the Thessalonians, I want your community to reflect the family values. And all these things that he's speaking to them about are ways that they can manifest the family value, that they can demonstrate a sense of peace in their life. Now, that idea of peace isn't just a cessation of hostilities like I sometimes try to get when the kids are at each other's throats. But it's more what the Hebrew idea of shalom, which we often translate peace, is getting at. This idea of peace isn't to just avoid conflict, but to pursue flourishing. Peace in the Old Testament has that idea of whole life flourishing, which is why you would greet somebody with the word peace or shalom, saying that I want you to flourish. Now, Paul is saying that this community should be one that is seeking each other's good, seeking each other's flourishing in a way that doesn't reflect a world value, but ultimately the family value of peace. The God of peace who sent the Prince of Peace into this world so that we could become people of peace. What did Jesus say in the upper room to his disciples? Peace I leave with you. Peace I give to you. Jesus came to bring peace to us so that we might be people marked by the family value of peace. And so what I want to do is I want to look at these different exhortations through four different kind of buckets. Because Paul kind of clumps them together in these buckets of community, 
culture, character, and communion. Community, culture, character, and communion. But in all these things, he's reflecting on how peace shows up. And that family value becomes seen in the community of Christ. But all communities have to gather around a purpose. If you're a part of a club, whether it's the chess club or the rotary club, or maybe you're in a biker gang, I don't know. You gather together for a purpose. Like if you're in a biker gang, you gather so that you can ride bikes and get into a little bit of trouble. If you gather for the chess club, you gather to play chess and to learn about chess. Sometimes we make use of Ridge Road Baptist Church, and there they have a ham radio club that is often meeting them when we go. And I've learned from them about ham radio just in casual conversations. And they gather together and they take apart radios and they put radios back together. They teach new people how to do ham radio and they talk about ham radio things. I don't know much about ham radio, but they sure do. And they keep gathering together so that they can grow in their knowledge of ham radio. We gather together as a community for a purpose. We don't gather together just for community's sake, but we come together to grow in the family value. We come together to grow to look more like Christ. And that's why Paul starts in this section as he does in verse 12 to say, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Paul there is calling Christians to look up, to honor, to respect those who are gathering the community together to keep the community on its focus, to honor and respect the elders and the deacons, the leaders of the church who are a part of helping the community to not just gather for community's sake, but to gather for Christ's sake. And this is the task of elders and deacons. The task of elders and deacons and the the leaders, the Sunday school teachers, the, the godly women that are in leadership and encouraging younger women in the church, all of the leaders of this church have this task, to point people to Jesus. Their job is to love you. Their job is to pray for you to care for you individually and communally in a way that helps you to look more like Jesus. And they do this because in a real sense, they care for you and they care for Jesus. And what Paul is saying is, I want you to look at these people with that understanding that they aren't in this position of authority for power or control, but they're in this position of authority for sacrifice, for service. That's why Paul describes them in the way that he does, saying, respect those who labor among you. He's expecting that these leaders are in the midst of their people, seeking to know them, to know the hurts and the pains, the concerns, and to bring into those places what they need for flourishing, to bring into them the encouragement, the reminders of Jesus, the prayers, 
the physical uh, things that a church can provide for those who are lacking. These different pieces, they, they're there to be among you, to bring them into your life so that the community as a whole flourishes. Paul wants you to, to see that the church has people that are given to the church to pursue its flourishing. And that's what a leader is supposed to be. But a lot of times the way that we think about leaders is with a worldly value, with a worldly perspective of one of power. Now, our culture values power. Our culture, in a sense, idolizes power. And so we think of everything through a lens of power. We even see this in things like critical theory, which breaks down systems to say, where is the power that someone is seeking to maintain or seeking to uh, defend? But the Christian community is not marked by power, but by peace, or at least it's supposed to be. And so the leaders of the church are not supposed to be seeking power. How can I get control and manage people and help them to look like me and what I want? But the leaders of the church are supposed to be people that pursue peace. And therefore, in their pursuing peace, would reflect the way that Christ himself brought peace. Christ himself brought peace not by coming into this world to pursue power out of his strength, power for himself, but he came laying aside his power and pursued peace by setting aside his life, giving himself up for his sheep so that they would flourish. Paul says that that's what your leaders are supposed to be like. People who are laying aside their life in love to see you brought close to the Father, just like Jesus. Now, if you have leaders like that, it makes sense why, as Paul says, you would esteem them very highly in love because of their work. If you have these leaders that are diligently serving you, of course you would want to esteem them highly in love. But I'm curious, do you see that? Maybe it's not that you don't see it because it's not there. But maybe you view their leadership through that lens of power and just assume that, that to invite them into your life is to invite someone who's going to control you or use you or hurt you. But that's because we're viewing the community through the lens of power. And we're fearing leaders because we think that we will lose power. But Paul says we have a community that is built around peace. And so to invite in a leader in the church into your life is to invite peace into your life. Someone who can bring more flourishing into your heart, into your soul. The leaders are given so that the community can be a community of peace. But Paul doesn't just want the leaders to be people that pursue peace, but as he says, be at peace amongst yourselves. There, Paul is reminding us that we all have that same calling to see each other flourish, to see each other grow. And that means that, that as we gather together as a community, we shouldn't show up with this sense of what am I going to get? We shouldn't show up with this sense of how am I going to receive? But instead, we should show up and say, how can I pursue the peace of my brother, pursue the peace of my sister, 
How can my presence here be something that, that brings them encouragement? You know, some churches do what's called the passing of peace, where they have like a time in the, the service, which is kind of like a little break of welcoming, where they say the peace of Christ be with you. And that pattern is something that they build into their worship to remind each other that we are here to pursue peace one to another. And that peace is a way that is passed by coming and holding someone's hand, looking him in the eye, and, and reminding yourself that, that you are intimately connected to them. Which is why Paul says something that is shocking in a way at the end of this passage, greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. No one greeted me with a kiss when I came. I'm not asking for that. But why does Paul say greet one another with a holy kiss? In this culture, this actually created a sense that there's something weird going on in these Christian circles because they're kissing each other because a kiss was a sign of family. A kiss was reserved for intimacy in a family way. But Paul is saying, you need to be close to each other like that. You are a family. And so you greet each other with a kiss that says, you are my family. But a kiss also is a way that you communicated a sense of reconciliation. That if you were at odds, the way that you would be reconciled is with a kiss to show that you are at peace. And so Paul is saying that you are a family marked by peace. And so when you gather together, you show that to each other. I am here for you. If you need me, I am here. Your presence in this community isn't showing up just so that you can get, but your presence in this community is showing up to say, I am here to give to you. Who needs peace and how can I be a part of your flourishing? Paul wants the Thessalonians to have this mentality because in these ways, they're beginning to embody in their community the Savior who came and with his life gives peace. But Paul then gives the Thessalonians some ideas of what this community of peace looks like by describing the culture of this community. To be at peace does not mean distance. He's not talking about blowing a kiss when he says greet each other with a holy kiss. He's talking about getting close and getting involved in each other's lives, which sometimes is a challenge. Sometimes that means we have to challenge each other, which is why Paul then says in verse 14, and we urge you brothers, admonish the idol. There, when he says, admonish the idol, he isn't so much thinking about people that are lazy, but more who are not properly working. You know, it's like as an example, if you go up to get some water out of a water fountain and it doesn't work, you don't think that that water fountain is being lazy. You think it's out of order. And that's the idea that Paul has here in this idea of people being idle, is that they're not doing what they were made to do, not doing what they should do. And so when Paul says, urge the brothers to admonish the idol, he's saying, I want you to be involved in encouraging people to live out what they're supposed to be. Help the people that aren't living out a sense of purposefulness to their Christian life to do what they were made to do. Do you realize that God has you in this world for a purpose? that each and every one of you matters, that each and every one of you has a reason that God is giving you breath, keeping your heart beating, 
helping you to be present in this world and in this community? A lot of times we have this value of our community that is oriented towards power like the world that says, well, if I have certain gifts that I can offer, then I have a sense of value. We begin to think about ourselves and analyze ourselves through that lens and says, well, I, I, I can't really teach much. I don't know the Bible much. I, I, I'm not great at evangelism. I'm not great at counseling. I don't really have much to offer. Sometimes we begin to evaluate our sense of purposefulness through that lens of power. But the purpose, purposefulness of a Christian is evaluated through the lens of peace. How can I be a part of another person flourishing? And each and every one of you can do that. Because you can pursue each other's peace through your presence by showing up. Do you know how encouraging it is to some of my young students to go to a church and to see someone who has been walking with Jesus for 60 years sing the same song that they do? They mention it. They like it. It encourages them to see people that are faithfully following Jesus for decades. Your presence matters. Those of us who are youthful can, through our presence, bring our strength and our vitality in serving. We can help pursue peace in that way. But those of you who are older can pursue people's peace through prayer through praying diligently for the other members of the congregation, for the community, for our state, for our nation. Your prayers matter. God wants all of us to have that sense of purposefulness of our life, that he isn't just leaving us here because he forgot about us, but he's leaving us here because we matter to each other and to this world. And so Paul says, encourage those among you who are idle. Help them to see that, that they shouldn't have an out-of-order sign hanging around them, but thinking, how is it that God has left me here to be a part of bringing peace and flourishing into this world and into the body of Christ? And so he then moves on to say, encourage the faint-hearted, or literally the small-souled. This is goes hand in hand with this idea of encouraging the idol by, by helping people to see the ways that they are being used by God. Have you ever had someone encourage you about something that you did? To say, you know, the other day when you said that thing in our Sunday school time, or when you mentioned that to me after, it really stuck with me and it helped me. Have you ever been encouraged by somebody like where they're able to put their finger on how God has used you in their life. If you have had that experience, you know how it, it literally grows you in courage, right? It grows you in a sense of, I want to do that more. And Paul, when he's saying to encourage the faint-hearted, is having that idea of us naming to each other the ways that their presence has served us, that their presence has blessed us, so that their soul would grow with that sense of how God is using them so that their heart wouldn't be faint or weak that says that I don't matter, but they would have greater sense of importance to their presence in our life and in others. One of the ways that is so simple, yet so infrequently used, that we can bless other people is simply through encouraging them. 
not in a kind of a southern flattery way where every meal is the best meal ever, but in a genuine naming, putting their finger on a real way that someone is encouraging you. That's such a powerful way that we can help people see that they matter. But all these things don't happen to us overnight. And so Paul says to help the weak and be patient with them all. We are all, in a sense, struggling. There's all challenges that that we face. And when we come into each other's lives, we're going to see that weakness. And it'd be easy to kind of push them and push them and push them. But Paul wants us to have a sense of patience in the way that we engage with each other. And he's doing this because he's wanting us to embody that sense of the family value and the way that, that God is patient with us. You know, the other day I was talking to a student who was struggling with his sin and struggling with a way that he hasn't seen healing in this part of his life in the way that he wanted to. And I asked him, are trees lazy? Are trees lazy? And he said, no, the trees aren't lazy. And then I said, do you see trees grow? He's like, no. It's like, you're like that. I don't think that you're lazy. But growing big and beautiful things takes time. God is patient with us in our growth. And Paul wants us to be thoughtful in the way that we encourage each other, thoughtful in the way that we urge each other, but not in a way that that creates a sense of impatience with each other, like, why don't you grow faster? But in a way that embodies God's patience. I see you trying. I see you growing, and I see that God is doing that work in your life. Keep it up. God is with you. God is for you. Paul is wanting this kind of culture to be what marks us because this is the kind of culture that we receive from Jesus in the way that he comes into our life as he thinks about us. He wants to to look in the areas in our life that we aren't reflecting what he has given to us. And so he comes and he urges us to live out his life more, but he doesn't do it in a way that is demanding or harsh or critical or impatient, but he embodies patience to us by being present with us and continuing to encourage us. Paul is wanting the culture of the community to be one where that sense of Jesus is felt in the way that we pursue peace for each other. But then thirdly, he wants us to be manifested in our character in the way that we live out individually this pursuit for peace. If you believe Jesus is real, that he's forgiven all your sin, that he's given you all his righteousness, that he's given his whole life for you, and he's now praying for you and working for your good from heaven, is working to bring this whole world into an unending age of perfect peace and love, shouldn't that change the way that you live your daily life? And so Paul then begins to say that, of course it should. And what does that look like? He says, to rejoice always. That the characteristics of the people in the community that that are experiencing the peace of Christ growing in their life is is joy. It's joy. And this joy isn't just a, a sense of a smile on the face or being happy. But this joy is a is a deep seated confidence that whatever our lot. Thou hast taught us to say, it is well, it is well with our soul. Paul thinks that 
Christians should be marked by joy because they have a God of peace who is pursuing their good. And this joy comes from that belief that God is with you and that God is for you. And that joy is going to grow as you keep that in your mind. And so Paul says that you should be praying without ceasing. Now, when Paul says pray without ceasing, he doesn't mean it literally, but he does mean it actually. And what I mean by that is, is you aren't sinning if you aren't praying every second. I don't pray when I sleep. I sleep when I sleep. But he does actually want us to have this mentality to our life, that our life is lived with a constant thoughtfulness that God is with us, that God is for us, and that we can come to him and always should be coming to him for the resources that we need in our life. Paul wants us to actually live about our life with this prayerful heart and thought and mindset that God is with us, that God is for us, that what is the foundation of our joy that God is with us and that God is for us is the foundation for how we move out into this world with a prayerful heart. So of course we would be constantly praying because we know that God is with us and that God is for us. And when we have that mindset of a joy that is rooted in God's presence, then that enables us to do what Paul says next, to give thanks in all circumstances. Thanks in all circumstances. There are hard circumstances that come to us. Like last Saturday, when I was doing some work with one of my children, And they tossed down a can from the roof that I caught with my face. It would be hard to give thanks in that circumstance. It was very painful, and thanks wasn't the first thing on my mind. But was God less with me in that circumstance? Had he forgotten about me in that moment? Was God not for me in that circumstance? Was he punishing me for something that I had done? No, even in that circumstance, in the pain, in the scar that it creates, God was for me and God was with me. And though that shouldn't create a sense of glib happiness about that, it can create a deep-seated joy that even in that pain and sorrow, I can give thanks because I wasn't in it alone. But God was with me and God was for me. And in some way, shape, he's going to take this scar and bring glory to him and me. And so Paul says that when we have that mentality that God is with us and God is for us, it gives a sense of joy and a prayerfulness that enables us to have a grateful heart and mind because in all the things we look and see that the will of God in Christ is for us. And so everything that comes to our life, we see through the lens of Christ. That everything that comes to us is a reminder that God is bringing that circumstance into our life because of Jesus and the love that he has for us in Jesus. And this is what Paul gets after in Romans chapter 8 when he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall failed parenting or breakups or lack of callbacks for jobs or friend betrayals or political drama or sins or injuries on the job or fears? Well, maybe he doesn't say those things. But those are the things that come to our mind. 
But then what does he say? No, in all those things, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Paul is saying when you look at your life through the lens of God being for you, God being with you, that he is seeking to bring you peace because he is the God of peace, then that enables you to take every single situation with a sense of joy and gratitude and a prayerful heart that says, God, you are with me, you are for me, show up, I need you now. Paul is wanting this to be the culture that marks the community of faith because they are people who should be expecting peace because their God is the God of peace. And so that peacefulness comes out in their life. In this last section, Paul wants to build on that idea of living with this idea that God is for us. And so he wants us to be thoughtful about how we guard that truth. And so he says, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. But test everything. Hold fast to what is good. There Paul is wanting the the people of the body of Christ to be intentionally making sure that they are hearing and understanding the gospel and holding fast to those things. He's wanting to make sure that they are testing all sorts of prophecies. Anytime anyone says that this is from God and saying, does this line up with the gospel of Jesus Christ? He's not wanting to quench the Spirit, to to put a wet blanket over the the work of the Spirit to point us to Jesus, but to us all be guarding the ways that we are hearing Jesus and embodying Jesus in our community and life. And there what Paul is trying to do is to help make sure that at the center of this community is what it needs to be shaped in this way. My daughter is in Paris today. I'm kind of jealous. And literally this morning, she went to the Arc de Triomphe, which you may know is this big arch that's in this section of Paris that demonstrates the courage of the the French against many different foes. And you may not know, but there's 12 avenues that all run into this one monument. And in a way, what that does is says that the the city radiates out from the courage of the French. and, And we have to come back to this to go back out. That is what the cross is like for us. That's the center of the Christian community. And all of these commands and all of the things that Paul is pointing is saying that you must go back to the cross. You must keep that box top view that that all this is doing is helping you to see the work of Jesus and to begin to go to that work so that you can radiate back that out into your life. Paul is wanting this community to reflect fully the characteristic of the family that is seen fully in our elder brother, in the Son of God, in Jesus which is why he encourages us that God will sanctify us completely and keep us blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ because he who calls you is faithful. Who is the one who calls you? It's Jesus. And he is faithful to bring out in you the family image. These commandments are not a long to-do list that you have to figure out what to do. But these commandments are little puzzled pieces that you get to see brought into your life as the Father 
shapes you to look like the sun and brings out his grace and his image in your life individually and in the community. Take great hope in the work of your Father by his Spirit, through his Son, to make you who are his enemies, his children. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the way that you do work to bring us into your family and to reflect <clears throat> your family image. And we pray that you would help encourage us in the ways that we can be a part of this in each other's lives. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.